Put them over your heart and say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue in our series called Vine Life, and this will probably be the final message in that series. And I've entitled it, Why My Prayers Don't Get Answered. I know that's the negative side of that. I struggled with that title. Maybe I could have titled it something in the positive, but I thought I'd get your attention. Everybody has unanswered prayers, and there's a definite reason why our prayers go unanswered. And that's not the will of God. God desires to answer our prayers. And the, according to the New Testament, there's a, there's a prescription that you and I can follow to receive answers to all of our prayers. Look with me at our text. It's been our text throughout this series. John's Gospel, chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and it withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his. Skipping down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Amen. Our premise for this series has been the following, that God designed us for intimate relationship and face-to-face -face conversation with himself. Any time we substitute our religious practice, forms, favorite expression, act of obedience, or even a learned language for the presence of God, we become a fruitless branch separated from true life. Now, Jesus said in verse 1, I am the true vine. Now, in that he says true, that means that there are false vines. I am the true vine. But watch out, be careful. There are false sources of supernatural presence. There are false sources of supernatural gifts. There are false sources of religious worship. I am the true vine. Now, Jesus refers to himself in these sort of metaphors in a variety of ways. 
illustrating various characteristics of his ministry. He's called, for instance, the light in chapter 8, verse 12. He's called the door in chapter 10, verse 7. He's called our shepherd in chapter 10, verse 11. And, of course, he is the vine in chapter 15. Now, we must keep in mind always that when Jesus taught, when he preached, when he spoke, he spoke to a Hebrew nation, a Jewish people who had a particular mindset. And it's important for us in understanding and discerning what it is that Jesus really meant when he made certain statements to think like Jewish people do, to think in the Hebraic or Hebrew mindset. So for instance, when Jesus said, I am the vine, immediately everybody around him was thinking of Psalm chapter 80 and verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. See, Israel was the vine. This ran so deep that even on the Maccabean coinage, Israel was represented as a nation by the symbol of a vine. Israel claimed relationship, in fact, with God because of their patriarchal association with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that's dangerous because, in short, connection with the Father is only possible in one way. It doesn't matter what family heritage you came from. It doesn't matter what nation you live in. It doesn't matter whether you shout and holler, whether you sing in the choir or not. It doesn't matter what banners over the door of the church. There is only one way that you and I can have relationship with God the Father. And that's through the true vine, Jesus Christ. There is none other. And religious tradition and religious practices and behavior modification and a list of do's and don'ts and none of that will actually bring us closer to God. None of that gives us a relationship with God. Now, looking at verse 2 in our text, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. One thing's for sure, God is after fruit. God is after something in my life that will return his investment. I'm the vine, Jesus said. You, Jeff Corson, are a branch. And if you are plugged into me, then my life, life as I have it, life as I enjoy it, is going to flow into you. And as it does, it's going to produce fruit. Now, there are two kinds of connections with Christ according to what we read here in verse 1 and 2. The merely cosmic, which bears no fruit, or I should say cosmetic. And then that which is truly spiritual and vital, which does bear fruit. The scripture says that Jesus will take away those branches that are in him that are simply cosmetic. They're not bearing any fruit. 
And even those who are bearing fruit, they have true spiritual viable relationship with Christ. They're plugged into the vine. He's going to prune. Pruning isn't a bad thing. Another word for it, even in our passage here, in verse 3, it's referred to as cleansing. Now you are clean. You are already clean through the word that I have spoken to you. Cleansing and pruning are the same operation of the Holy Spirit, of the husbandman who tends the vineyard. Question, when God looks at your life, does he see you plugged into the vine in a vivacious living relationship with Jesus Christ, one that is bearing fruit? Now, the foundation of that, being able to answer that question, absolutely, yes, I am a passionate Christ follower, and everything God wants for my life, I'm running hard after it. The foundation of that is the foundation of answered prayer. Without that, there will be unanswered prayer. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 2. When it says that the husbandman, the father prunes, or he cuts back, he takes away. He does not run to the other branches to ask their opinion on the pruning process. Did you notice that? He doesn't go to any other branches to get their approval on how a certain branch should be pruned or cut back. He's not asking our opinion about the life of other believers. Could I say it in another way? Keep your nose out of it. Could I say it another way? You're not all that. I mean, unless I am just tending my own fruit and keep my nose out of other people's business and keep myself plugged into the vine, then I risk not being as fruitful as the Lord wants me. And... Be sure he will prune. He will cut away as is necessary. That we might bear more fruit. Again, he's after fruit. He made an investment. He's after a return. Now, let's just deal with a fact here from our passage, from our our text. There are unproductive, unfruitful branches. There are unproductive, unfruitful branches. And sometimes they are sitting right beside another branch that's blossoming with all sorts of vivacious life and fruit. You know what? None of your business. (laughs) You can't play with that. It is not my job to play Holy Spirit and judge other people's fruit. It's not my job to judge whether or not someone else is far enough along in the Lord. And it's also not my place to compare my fruit with your fruit. Because each branch is a little different. And aren't you glad that God doesn't require us to give up our personalities when we come to him? Wouldn't that be a shame if, Brother Nate, you were just like me? I mean, 
Can you imagine this church having a second pastor, Jeff? And Barb's back there shaking her head. Dear Jesus, no. But here's, here's four things you can rest in regarding whether or not you're feeling uncomfortable about just what kind of branch you are. Are you cosmetic or are you a vital branch that's plugged in? Are you at risk or am I not? Here's four things you can count on. Mark chapter 12 verse 1, he builds walls around his vineyard, the scripture says. He's got you in mind. He has your back. He will protect you. He will see you through this walk. He is guarding what concerns you. He's holding your hand. He's going to take you where you need to go. James chapter 5 verse 7. Like a farmer, he's very patient with the crop. Aren't you glad God is patient with me and with you? See, that's why you can never cast judgment on another brother or sister. You don't know where they're at in the process of fruit bearing. You can't judge their fruit. And God is far more patient with people than we are. You know, we judge people and we think they ought to change right now. And if they don't measure up to our moral list of behaviors, then they're out. Or they're, they're not a real Christian. Or they're not a strong Christian. Because we don't see the same fruit in them that we do in, say, our own life or someone else. None of our business. God is patient as a farmer is with his crop. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 6. He is personally managing what belongs to him. The vineyard is his. So are all the vines and all of the branches. It all belongs to God. And you know what? Just about the time you think you've really got a handle on all this and you're really bearing fruit and glory to God, your life is really something special for Jesus. He'll put you in the middle of a congregation. He'll bring some friends into your Christian life that just destroy everything you thought you had a handle on. I mean some people that are really out there. Some people that test your faith. Some people, I mean some family situations. Come on. I mean that test you, that max you out in what you thought you knew about real fruitful Christianity. And you know what? God doesn't fall off his throne. He's the husbandman. He's tending all of the vines. He's in control of all of the branches. And he alone is the one that will prune the fruit. Keep your nose out of it. And I don't know if you've ever noticed any sort of vine that grows, but in particular, grapevines, they really co-mingle amongst one another. In fact, sometimes when, when you have a cluster of grapes that's uh, waning and not doing well and it's not very healthy, the husbandman gets in there and he has to dig around for 10, 15 minutes. Maybe it takes him an hour or two to really get to the particular vine and branch area that's feeding that and not feeding that particular set of grapes because they're all wound around each other. That's a type of the body of Christ. It's a picture of how our lives need to be mingled with one another. I'm not trying to run away from the local church. I'm trying to run into it. I don't want isolation. I want participation. 
I don't want God to set me up with my ministry and nothing else and I'll shine and then I'll leave and go home. I want God to blend me in and work me through and entangle me with and get me all twisted up in your life and you in my life. You know what that does? When you have a failure, Paul said it this way, bear one another's burdens. See, when you fail, I fail. When you rejoice, Paul said, rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn or weep with those who weep. That's what vine life is all about. That's why we need the local church. And finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, he delegates and shares his care and love of the branches to shepherds that have his heart. If you're not plugged into a good local church where you recognize there are shepherds, where there's some leadership there that really cares for you, and, and like a vine, their life is wrapped around you and you're wrapped around them. And oh, by the way, nobody's judging nobody. We're all there to maximize God's investment in our lives individually and see good fruit come out. Amen. The rest doesn't matter. I'm for you. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care how broken you are or what a mess you might be. Secret is, you don't know what a mess I am. But I'm looking for some faithful vines, some trustworthy vines that I can do life with and get entangled with who will support me and love me through my difficult hours. Love me when I'm at my worst and be patient with me and bring me to where I'm fruit bearing. That's our commitment to one another. That's vine life. So let's talk about the fruit of answered prayer. One thing's for sure, God's looking for fruit and he's the fruit inspector. And he will bring out the best. And the fruit that he's looking for is a relationship with the vine. Not personal effort. Not personal struggle. Not sweat and blood to try to be like him. He's looking for a simple personal relationship where you and I are plugged into that vine. So let me give you the definition of fruit according to our text here. Number one, it's a life that speaks of relationship. Not religion. Relationship with Jesus. I love him more than I love any other being in the universe. You say, you mean more than your wife, Nina? Absolutely. And rest assured, Nina loves Jesus first and before she loves Jeff. If Jeff ever stopped serving God, Nina would go on loving him, serving him, coming to church, worshiping, being involved in ministry. Sometimes I see these relationship situations in marriages where one is on fire for God and the other isn't and the other forbids, uh, you know, the one that's not serving God forbids the other spouse to serve God or to go to church. Excuse me? You are forbidding your spouse to worship the Lord? You are forbidding your spouse to go to church? Really? How's that working for you? No one, no man, no woman, no child can be your Lord. No one is to come before 
Jesus Christ. So that's the first fruit, relationship. Secondly, joy. Third, love. And fourth, according to our text, answered prayer. Answered prayer is actually a fruit of abiding in Christ, being plugged into the vine. So let me give you some prayer keys. First, why do we have unanswered prayers? Well, because we're not abiding. So what does that look like? If I'm, if I'm not abiding, since if I'm abiding, Jesus says there will be fruit. I might need some pruning, but there, just by the nature of being plugged into the vine, the life of the vine flows into the branch. So if I'm plugged into the vine, if I'm abiding, the life of Jesus is going to flow into my life. There will be fruit. So if prayers are not being answered, it might be because I'm trying to bear fruit of myself. Verse 4 says that we cannot bear fruit of ourself. In other words, disconnection from the vine. Depending on your own mind, your own logic, your own ways, your own experience. How many times every day do we revert back to old ways of thinking, old ways of doing, relying on the arm of the flesh, relying on an old experience to get us through instead of falling on the ground, on our knees before Christ, saying, Jesus, you are my everything. You are my source. You are the vine. You have the answers for this particular situation. And I'm going to rest in you and allow you to flow that answer right through me. I'm not going to sweat. I'm not going to get out of sorts. I'm not going to unplug from the vine. By the way, branches don't visit the vine. (laughs) Branches that just visit don't last. They dry up, and according to our text, they're good only for firewood. Secondly, another reason that our prayers are unanswered, because we think we're a good person. Well, Lord, I'm a good person. That's called self-source. Or in other words, works. God doesn't answer prayer because I'm a good person. God answers prayer because he loves me. And by his grace, he's already given me everything that pertains to life and godliness, Jack. Everything. I cannot improve God's willingness or desire I cannot enhance it. I cannot improve it. I cannot get him to have more desire to give me, to bless me, to give to me, to bless me, or to answer my prayers by anything I do. Third, I have needs. Oh, my. Well, if the Lord answered prayer just based on needs we'd have a whole lot more answered prayer because there's a lot of needs. And how many of you know there's a lot of people that have no relationship with Jesus, but they get in trouble, and because they have a need, they cry out to God, God, if you'll only, then I'll do. Have you ever made a deal with God? God, if just this once you'll, then I'll be sure to. 
Now, you're sitting there and saying, and, and he did. He, he answered me. Yeah, that's called mercy. That's not called vine life. That's called mercy. And we don't live by miracles. We live by the principle of God's word. We live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. God does not respond to our needs. He responds to our faith. Time and time again in the New Testament. The individuals that Jesus would heal, the blind eyes he would open, the lame uh, limbs that he would heal so that they could walk, the miracles that he performed and did was in response to people's faith, not just the fact that they had a need. There were lots of needy people around Jesus. But faith is what drew out his power. And then fourth... A fourth reason for unanswered prayer that actually causes us to stop abiding. Listen, because you may have said these words this week. If it be thy will, Lord, you can heal me. Lord, if it be thy will, you can make me whole. Lord, if it be thy will, you can take care of this and that. That is a doubt-filled prayer. And one that Jesus is not responsive to. You say, well, Jesus himself prayed that way. Really? Are you sure? Well, yeah, when he was in the garden, he... Did, didn't, didn't Jesus pray, Lord, if it be thy will that this cup would pass from me, let, let it pass? Right? You remember that. May I ask you, what was the context of that prayer? Jesus was sweating drops of blood, the scripture says. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane carrying the, the weight of all of the world's sin, all of our unrighteousness. And in that moment of his humanity, he cried out to God, God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There is only one time, only one place in our life to pray that prayer. On our knees in consecration where you are struggling in the area of will. And like Jesus, we say, Lord, not my will. Yours be done. Otherwise, you never pray that. In fact, there was a gentleman during the ministry of Jesus that said that to Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you remember Jesus' response? And it should settle it for all time, for all eternity. I am willing, be thou clean. And he touched him and healed him. I'm going to tell you in a moment why people pray that way. Lord, if it be thy will. All right. Let me give you a couple of keys to answer prayer. First of all, let's look at verse 7, though. Let's read it from the screen. Jerry, do we have it there? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. All right, let me give you several keys to answered prayer. Number one, of course, is abiding. And what do I mean? Practicing the presence of God in every moment. He's here right now. And not just because we're gathered or we had church or a great song service or took communion. But God is with me, never leaves me, and he's with me every moment. I have no control over the moment that just went by. All right, I can't do anything about it. I can't forecast the future, and so I have no real control over the moments that are coming. But right now, this moment, I have a choice I can make. I am going to honor God. I'm going to keep my mind upon him. I'm going to be aware of his presence right now in this very moment. You say, but I I just sinned. I, I just thought a very ugly thought. I just said some, come on back then into the moment. Because God didn't leave. I don't care how gross your sin. In that moment, the Lord does not hide his face from our sin. He stays right in the middle of it with you. He stays right in the middle and never leaves. And in your moment where you are your worst, he's there. And you simply refresh in that moment in his mercy, knowing that his forgiveness is forever certain and sure. Practicing the presence. Number two, knowing the word of God. In verse seven, it's called, my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now see, John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything, I will do it. Let me read from the Weiss translation this same verse, verse 7. If you maintain a living communion with me, and my words are at home in you, I command you to ask at once. Something for yourselves, whatever your heart desires, and it will become yours. Isn't that powerful? When you stay in that place where God's word is constantly in you, in your thoughts, and in your mouth, then you're abiding in a way that Jesus says, okay, ask whatever you want. Now, how can he possibly make that sort of promise to you and I? Whatever I want? Really? You mean anything I want? That's why I read John 14, verse 13 and 14. It says the same thing, verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Really? Anything? Well, here's how that works. When you're abiding in him and his words are abiding in you, you would never, Lucretia, ask him for something that wasn't in agreement with his word. Listen to this promise. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, then we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. 
And just a quick note about verse 7, ask what you will. You know, that's individually based on the life that each branch has with the vine. All branches don't bear the same. What business is it of mine to monitor what another branch is receiving as a result of their connection to the vine? Paul made it clear in his letters to the Corinthian church that we're not to compare ourselves. We're not to compare our gifts. We're not to compare our fruit and say, well, I have something you don't. That's the Father's business. He just wants us moving forward. And so number three, if you want prayers answered, then you must have the power of fruit operating in your life. You must live a fruit-laden life. What am I talking about? Relationship, joy, love. All three of those are mentioned in our passage. Relationship with the vine, joy as a result of his life flowing into me, and love. Not just a love I receive, but a love that I give. When you have a fruit-laden life, then you're abiding. And when you're abiding, then his words are real to you. When his words are abiding in you, then you can ask whatever you wish because the Father knows you would never ask anything out of his will if you're abiding in him and his words are abiding in you. And the key to getting God to hear you is to simply ask according to his will. That's why you should never pray, Lord, if it be thy will. Listen to me. The next time you're tempted to pray that way, Lord, if it be thy will, stop. Shut up. Don't pray it. Take another hour. Take another half day. Take another week. Do what you have to do to get into this word and get his will on it. Get his word on it. Find a verse. Find a promise that deals with what you're dealing with. Then when you approach the throne, present his word to him. Lord, you said... Now I'm taking that to you and the Bible says he will hear if you ask according to his will and if you know he hears you know you have the thing you asked. That's the key. And staying in joy and staying in relationship and walking in love faith worketh by love. That's why it's so important to have a fruit laden life when it comes to answered prayers. Need I remind you that there will always be two reports. There will be the report of God's word and there will be what the doctor says. There will be the report of God's word and there will be what your employer says. There will be the report of God's word and there will be what some family member says. There will always be Two reports that you are wrestling with. You know what? The decision though on which report you focus on is your own. You can focus on the negative report, the doubt, the unbelief, or you can focus on the good report of God's word and speak that. All right. 
I want to illustrate something before we close our time just to show you how that Proverbs 18.21, which says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will do what? You'll do what? So we not only get to bear fruit, we get to eat of the fruit. So what do you have to do to be able to eat of this great fruit that your life is bearing because you're plugged into Christ? What do you have to do? You have to control your words. Now, I'd like to illustrate how our words can absolutely suck out of our life all that is good, all that God means for us to have, and render us deformed as a branch. All right? I'm going to rely on all of you. Somebody give me something, just speak something out there that's a negative. Maybe something either that you have found yourself saying or you've heard somebody say, but certainly it speaks death and not life. All right, go ahead. Now, isn't that a mess? Plugged into the same mouth that has the choice of what seed to sow. It's my choice, my focus. But depending on my tongue and what I speak, I'll either have a deformed, fruitless life and risk being pruned or... Say some more things that are positive now. Say some life-giving things. <laughs> Looks pretty healthy to me. See, it's your choice. You say, well, man, that's pretty simplistic way of... Yeah, it is really quite that simple. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. They that love it, they that tend to it, they that are constantly, moment by moment, monitoring what comes out your mouth, will eat the fruit thereof. Let's stand.